0: Jesus Messiah
1: doesn't he get sweeter all the time? Just a little taste of heaven here. You imagine what it'll be like over there? I don't think I has seen, ear is heard, but there's something in our heart that says it'll be worth it all. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. God bless you. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Just had a wonderful weekend here, and we're just looking to cap it off tonight. We're happy to have you all here. We welcome you. And we just want to just give a just a brief, quick testimony. We've been praying for Brother Luke Semenuk. And uh, he's here today. He's in the back with his wife, Sister Amara. And they just want to give thanks to God how he's been working on Brother Luke's behalf. Through the month of November, Luke had nearly four liters of fluid drained from his abdomen in under two weeks as a result of his failing liver. After many drainings, the fluid became infected and we were admitted to the hospital to treat the infection. When we left the hospital November 10th, he prayed that would not have to have that drained anymore so frequently or that God would slow that down or stop the fluid retention and infections. Just before Christmas, we had a scheduled procedure to remove any newly retained fluid from his abdomen. After prepping him for the procedure, running ultrasounds, the doctor reported there was only three tablespoons of fluid in his entire abdomen. Amen. Amen. It would not need, it would not be safe to drain it. We would not need to go through the procedure. Our family doctor and specialist even report that this is an absolute miracle, considering the state of Luke's liver condition. We are thankful to God for answering prayers, for helping in the time of need. Thank you for your faith and prayers. We're continuing to believe for a complete healing, whatever God's will would be. Praise the Lord. Amen. As our brother Matt just started sharing testimonies this morning, I believe it's important to give God praise. And as as he started sharing that this morning, faith started rising. And you look at that faith rose from one healing to another healing to something more. I believe we're coming to the greatest hour we've ever seen. We just want to live that out, don't we? We're going to get out of the way. Let our brother come and minister. Let's sing the battle is the Lord's, if we can. The battle is the Lord's. There is is a source. source
0: in time of need that.
2: I stand in all, amen.
1: And that song my Pamara.
0: I stand in all within the presence of the Lord. Can we give him
2: a hand clap of praise? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you love him tonight? Amen. Do you believe that he's in control? He's in complete control. I believe the Lord is. Amen. He's just uh, been so good to us and wonderful since we've been here. We've just felt the presence of the Lord, and that always means everything to the believer. You can know his word. You can know all about him, but to know him, that's life. To know his spirit, to know his presence, to know that he's the same one who made the word, he keeps his own word. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we just want to say again how much of our Privilege it's been uh, to be here with you. Amen. And I trust that something was said this morning that was a encouragement to you. Amen. And that is know that uh, I was greatly encouraged. Amen. Just by the presence of the Lord. And so we're just looking for what He has for us here tonight. And I uh, just, the Lord has just shifted my direction entirely. And so that's all right. We just trust Him uh, and we're just His servant. And we've learned that the hard way, <laughs> sometimes, and have to learn it the hard way. You just got to obey the Lord, no matter what. No matter what you think, doesn't matter, throw out what you think and obey the Lord. Amen. So we just want to do that tonight. Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bible, we'll have you turn, amen, straight to the Word. Brother, I've sent you a new PowerPoint. You're going to have it, amen, here in a minute. You'll get it to the email if you could have that ready. Matthew chapter 12, would just begin reading at the first verse. I'm going to speak to you tonight on one greater than the temple. One greater than the temple. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest's Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil. Now notice this being prophetic of the day and age that you live in. Jesus is going to prophesy that something they've asked him would have a relevance in this age. What was the question? Show us a sign. Amen. And notice what Jesus says. He says, an adulteress, Jesus answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Notice what was Jesus saying here. As Brother Branham says, we don't seek signs. We don't follow signs. Signs follow us. It isn't about believing the sign. You are the sign. Can you say Amen. You see, what the intellectual mind always fails to see is that the sign they were looking for, the vindication, the proof, the manifestation, was standing right in front of them. Notice what he says here in verse 40. He says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Isn't it amazing Brother Jonah never knew when he was wrapped in seaweed in the bell's welly in his guts that he was literally in his tribulation. He was fulfilling a sign of the Messiah. Sometimes we don't know what we're going through and why we're going through it. But God, our great father, has a plan for everything that happens in our life. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented At the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Lord, we know tonight that without you, Lord, and without your divine unction... Lord, then really, what does it profit us, Lord, to gather here, Lord, just to see each other, to see me? Lord, I pray, God, that you would do what we can't do right now, Lord. Father, and take your word and make it live, make it real to every person that's here, Lord, to those that aren't here. I'm just a man, Lord, and you're, the Bible says that by the foolishness of preaching, why would he call it that? Because here I am, Lord. An imperfect clay, speaking to imperfect clay, and somehow we'd get perfection out of that. That's the foolishness of preaching that you chose, Lord, because it's not the faith that we put in any gift or of any man, but it's the faith we put in you, the Word. Lord, and our faith is rested entirely and secured entirely on you tonight, asking God for you to come now and take your Word, Lord, and make it real to your children. We ask it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. He uses this word temple and this is something very close to the heart of a Jew. Even today you could mention that word temple and it's very important. We're not going to go into the history, Jewish history of the temple or the restoration of the third temple. It's not what we're preaching on here today, but we know that the Jews are looking for a temple. And and we know that this was from the very heart of God. When he says this uh, in the Bible, he uses this word temple. And this is a word that is something that God put in the heart of man. Not something that man ever came up with. But actually, God is the one who said this. And you'll find it in, in the Bible... When, when God begins to tell Moses to build me a tabernacle. And in John 17, Jesus prays this prayer, and he says, Father, and this is his desire, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which thou has given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So even Jesus was expressing the heart of God, that, Father, I will, that they also, whom thou has given me, be with me where I am. You've got a longing to be with the Lord. I can promise you he's got a much greater longing to be with you. And Exodus 25, God tells Moses, build me a sanctuary. And uh, Exodus 25 verse He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So this was, we know from the very beginning, uh, from the very beginning, this was the heart and the mind of God. Uh, the temples that the Jews had came up with wasn't. Something, as we said, that they came up with on their own. But it was actually something that God had had in his mind since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Because you notice this perfect harmony and this perfect communion that Adam uh, has in Eden. It's 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 a condition. Remember, Eden is more of a condition than it is a geographical location. Because the Garden of Eden spoke of the resting place... That God had with his children. And so Eden was more of a condition that was an atmosphere that Adam lived in. It was an atmosphere where there was no worry. We can't imagine that kind of atmosphere here today. Even here as most of us uh, here today, I don't care how much you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you can't imagine an atmosphere to where there's no worry, there's no stress, there's, there's no care, there's no anxiety, there's no trouble in your life. Oh, come on, I know, you ain't, you know I'm not the only one with trouble. And so we can't imagine a world like that. We put it, try to wrap it up in our minds. How could, you, how could a place be so perfect to where there was such harmony? There was no stress. Adam woke up every day and, and, and Eve and there was, no, there was no anxiety. There was never any moment of terror and nothing ever came upon them that gave them any fear or would unsettle them. There was not a negative thought. Imagine that. There was not a negative feeling, never a negative moment, you know. And so what do we do when we come into the house of God? That's why when the presence of the Lord comes down, we feel so much at home when the presence of God comes near because we realize we were there one day and Jesus said, I came from God and I'm going back to God. So that's how you were created. You were not created to live in this world of chaos. You were not created to live in this world of fear. That's part of the fallen nature. But you were made in the back part of God's mind to live like Adam lived. And so you say, what gave Adam this perfect feeling? What gave him this perfect? Well, it was the relationship or the communion or the connection that Adam has with God. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Because under perfect love, there's perfect submission. There's perfect trust. And that perfect love produces perfect faith. And so where there's perfect faith, there can be no fear. There can be no anxiety. There can be no worry. Oh, do you realize this is what we're going back to, friends? This is what God is redeeming his family back to a condition or a place, and you only get just a taste of it. You know what What you have with the Holy Ghost? You just have the down payment. You just have the inheritance. Imagine what when God gives us the fullness of redemption. We ain't going to be able to contain ourselves. That's why the song says, I can only imagine what I'll do when I stand before him. Will I dance? I'm sure I will. Will I shout? I'm sure I will. I won't be able to contain myself on that day. Uh, Some of you who've never cut loose in your life, I promise you'll cut loose on that day. You won't be able to contain your smile. You won't be able to contain your praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to get carried away, as the song says, when I get carried away. <laughs> and so what was it that brought this condition? It was a harmony. It was an atmosphere. It was a relationship. And so here God drives out man from the garden. And notice, this is the saddest scripture in the Bible. And the Bible says, so man drove, God drove out man from the garden of Eden. And he placed at that entrance cherubims with flaming swords guarding the way to the tree of life. And so it was a protected way. It was a a guarded way. It's always been a guarded way. And so Jesus says uh, that, that, that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. But broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. But he says, but narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leadeth back to life, and few there be that find it. And so God drives out the man from the garden, but he always has in his heart, he's always desiring to go to bring back that fellowship. Because now Adam, who once had this just connection with the Lord, once Adam had this heaven that was open, there was no static in his connection to the Father. There was no, there was no communication problem. There was no hindrance. There, 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 was, there was nothing that stood in between. It was an instant connection with the, with, with the Father. It was, it was Father and Jen, the Lord was there. There was no waiting. He was there at, at the moment uh, that Adam would beckon him or call on him. And so, but now something comes. And we know the story that takes place and God drives out the man. And the Bible says, and heaven became like brass. And so now there was this disconnection. There was this disconnection between man and God. And so God's entire desire, his entire motive, his, his purpose, he's got a vision. He's got a plan. Let me just say this to you. God is, has never been figuring this out aimlessly. <laughs> I do that a lot of times. We figure things out as we go. But God never figures it out as He goes. Listen, God had the plan of redemption before the fall ever took place. He already had the answer before the problem started. You realize all of time, we call it history, but do you know it's really His story? It's history as man understands it. It's history as it unfolds. And we relate everything by an unfolding or a journey. But to God, it's his story. Brother Brandon would call it his drama. And he would begin to talk about Morphe and Morphe, how God would change his mask. It was all part of the drama. It was all part of the script. It was all part of the plan. So before time ever began, God already charted the course. He already wrote the script. He knew every actor. He knew every villain. He knew every hero. He knew every believer. He knew every unbeliever. He knew every make-believer. Even before Pharaoh was born, God already knew. I've rose you up for this purpose, Pharaoh. You've got a part to play. You've got a part in the script. I've written your part in the script. This is your part of the story. Long before the plan ever started. Long before all of the parts and all of the characters. Before God ever said, action. He's already got your name. He's already got my name. He's got your children's name. He's got your family's name. Pharaoh was already there. Judas' name was already there. He knew exactly what part Judas was to fulfill. Listen to me, my brother and my sister. There are people who are fulfilling parts and roles of of verses written in the Bible. There is the lukewarm church. That's already written down in the Bible. And there are churches who fulfill that lukewarm, lackadaisical spirit of a church. Uh, There's those who question the Word of God and walk away from the Word of God. They are fulfilling their role and their part. But let me just say to you today, that's not your part. That's not your role. Hallelujah. You are the overcomers of the book of Revelations. You are the overcomers of this generation. You're not the lukewarm church. You're the church on fire of the living God. God's already written the script long before he ever said action. Do you know that God has no stress? COVID did not stress him at all. The First World War, the Second World War, the Third War, it doesn't matter. God's already got the drama. He's already written the script. He already knows the end. The end from the beginning. And it's all one great big drama. He's not aimlessly, oh no, let's see what's gonna happen. Uh, he fell, and now what am I gonna do? And now you have David over here. He's fallen with Bathsheba. Now you have this. Uh, it's never God's never stressed, he's never worried, he's never stressed out. He all because why? He's already caught a... Listen to me, friends, you'll not be stressed out when you catch a revelation that your name is on the back of the book, and you know, in the end, I win. Hallelujah! In the end I'm victorious! In the end I'm an overcomer! So it doesn't matter what looks what it looks like now. <laughs> you ever watch, you ever see a sports team and maybe somebody who's got their favorite sports team? And they're just so stressed out. They're in the big game. They're in the big moment. And, you know, they get so stressed out. They've watched them. You can't even hardly stay in the same room. They just walk out of the room at the, at the most crucial parts. The parts you think if you're going to be there to watch something, you should be there in the fourth quarter with 30 seconds left. But, no, they're outside. They can't even. Don't even tell me. I don't even want to know. They just can't even be in the same room. They're so stressed. Their team has a fumble. Oh, man. Oh, oh man! They're so stressed out and worried. I was at a restaurant the other day, and one of the big bowl games or t- college football teams was going on. I didn't even know it was. I walked in the restaurant. It was pins and needles. It was quiet. I couldn't believe it. I was just there for takeout, and I'm like, my goodness, it's so quiet. I look around, and everybody's fixated on the screen of this big Tennessee game. I didn't even know it. I didn't know anything about it. Don't keep up with. In the college football, and all these people are just so, they're so just, it's so tense. And you got people that are walking around, they won't even look at the screen. Oh, my goodness, you don't even enjoy the game. (laughs) I'm sure y'all don't have that here, Brother Ed. It's just an American thing. Right. You ever watch it with somebody? Man, they can't even be there. They're so stressed out. They're so worried. He throws an interception. Oh, my goodness, all the game's over. But have you ever watched that game with the man who's watching the rerun of the game where his team already won? He's just eating popcorn. The whole don't watch this part. I can't believe this. You just wait. I hope you catch it, friends. It doesn't matter if he fumbles the ball. It doesn't matter if he throws an interception. He already knows the result that his team wins. Hallelujah. And when you catch a revelation, you're already a winner in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if I fumble. It doesn't matter if I make a mistake. I've already won in Christ. Oh, somebody give God praise tonight. I've already won in Jesus. Hallelujah. He already seen me as a winner. So why worry? And why stress? Jesus has got control of it all. He already wrote the script. And his plan is to restore this fellowship, to bring them back, to get them back to this perfect harmony, to get them back to this perfect fellowship. God creates a plan. Brother Branham calls this the threefold purpose of God. And, and, and even the book of Corinthians speaks of it. In 1 Corinthians, you could put that up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. Notice this here, the Apostle Paul speaking. This is, this is what we call the plan of redemption. And within the plan of redemption is all of the families of redemption. The earth is part of that redemption. Everything that was part of that book, Lamb's book of life, would be restored back. And notice here through these stages... This is the revelation of God or the mystery of God. Even first 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, the apostle Paul says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. This is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Even the hidden wisdom. So there was a part that God was playing. Remember, the devil doesn't know everything. Don't ever forget that. The devil doesn't know everything. God's prophets don't even know everything. So don't tell me the devil knows everything. The devil can only react and know where he's at by watching prophecy fulfilled. Do you realize that? That's why the Bible says he's came down with great revelations struggle with great wrath. For he knoweth he hath but a short time. And if you know that time is short, how much more does the devil know his time is short? Why do you think he's pouring out all hell upon you and unleashing everything he possibly can? He knows he's running out of time. I got news for you, devil. You came too late. I'm already sealed. You came too late for my family, they're already sealed. I've already applied the token. You might try, you might push, you might pull, but you can't cross the bloodline, Satan. I've got a promise over my home. I've got a promise in my inheritance. And you came too late, devil. So he doesn't know everything. He can only watch as prophecy is fulfilled. And that tells him where he's at in history. You know who knows more than ever before the LGBT, whatever, Q and S-R-T and NOP agenda. The devil knows that agenda and he sees it as a fulfillment of prophecy. And that clues him in on something. Let's keep reading it here. But God, notice this. For we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained... Which God scripted, which God planned, which God already mapped it all out. He already charted it before the world unto our glory. So you mean I've got a part to play in this? All of redemption, all of the names Do you realize you're part of the life of Christ? You're as eternal as Jesus was eternal? That seed gene of God is as eternal as you as Jesus was eternal? And he says, which he would, notice this, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory Why wouldn't they have crucified? Because Satan, had he known what Calvary would have enacted, he would have never crucified Jesus. Because if Satan knew that by the crucifixion of the Son of God, that would not imprison the whole family of God, but with his death and resurrection, the whole family was going to go free. so he wouldn't have done it if he would have known what it would have caused. But it was the hidden wisdom. God hid it from him. You say, how did he hide it from him? Because Jesus, there was no beauty that we should desire him. He came lowly, meek. He was in human, a human body. And Satan couldn't understand this. Hold on a minute. He couldn't figure it out. That's why even the demon spirits, even the rule, even the, they, would, they would say to him, who are you? How do you speak this way? But God had hid it. But as is written, I have not seen nor heard, and neither have entered into the heart of man the things of God, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So within this hidden wisdom is the great mystery of redemption, which includes why he allowed sin in the first place. Now, Satan didn't know it, but when he took Jesus to hell, he didn't realize who he was taking to hell. You ever heard the story of the Trojan horse? And you heard how the the horse, they thought it was a gift. But within the horse was soldiers. And so they took it freely. Oh, man, here's a gift. They opened their gates. Those gates that they opened was their protection. But when they let him in, they had no idea that that weak, lowly vessel that looked so humble and looked so weak, he was vulnerable, he was crucified. And Brother Branham said, Satan said, now I've got him. Brother Branham says, but as he descended down into the lower parts of the earth, it was like a Trojan horse. Those Trojans didn't know it, but when they shut the gates to the city and all all the men drank and all the men got drunk, they were partying, they were reveling, they had their music blaring. And then at nightfall, the bottom of that horse opens up and there's an entire army of soldiers. And do you realize... When Jesus descends down to hell, he's no longer the weak, lowly Jesus. Now he's the mighty conqueror. Oh, hallelujah. And Brother Branham says he knocks on the door. And Brother Branham says that Satan, hey ho, who is that, that, that at the door? Who's there at the door? Quieten the music down here for a moment. And he goes to the door, opens the door, and he says, oh. So you finally arrived, did you? You finally arrived. I've got to pull it up here. I'm not going to have you read it, but I'm just going to read it for myself. If if you can control the PowerPoint, you can slip down to uh, slide 22. Here he goes. Where did he leave when he left? I love this. This is the entombment. The Bible said he ascended. He went and preached to the souls that were in prison that repented not. In the long-suffering days of Noah, his soul, his spirit, his theophany of his own being went down. Let's follow him. Would you like to tonight to follow him just a few moments? Let's see where he went. Just below the region of mortal beings lays the realm of demon power. Below that, just above that, lays the souls of the unjust. Below it lays the very domain of Satan, hell. Then just above us lays the Holy Spirit. Then under the altar lays the soul of the just men. Next to that is God himself. One going downward. One going upward. The two spirits are here on earth, influencing the people of this earth. We preached on this Friday night, and when Jesus died, he goes up down there. I can see him on the Friday afternoon after his death. Brother Branham knocks on the door, knocks on the door of the regions of the lost. Let's follow him. The door opens. There was women. There was men. There was young ladies, they were old. They were all together in that hideous place called the prison of the lost souls. But in that mournful place there, Jesus walked to the door. Everything had to witness that he was the son of God because they had been preached to the long-suffering days of Noah. Knocks at the door. He said, I am he who Enoch spoke of. I am the seed of the woman that was to bruise the serpent's head. You see, in the garden of Eden, When the serpent's there, and Eve's there, and Adam's there, God makes that prophecy. And he says, for it shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that heel spoke of his humanity. That was the crucifixion. Now, God didn't tell Satan any of this. This was part of the hidden wisdom of God. That at the crucifixion, in the bruising of the hill, or at the killing, or the, the, the slaying of the lamb. Yeah. That in the slaying of the lamb, it would bruise thy head. Yeah. What was that head? It was the headship that Satan had over God's family. This was part of that, that, that hidden wisdom. And God says, I am the seed of the woman. This is Jesus, Brother Random, saying this here. That was to bruise the serpent's head. Every word of God has been fulfilled. I've just died yonder at Calvary, and I have purchased my church. I'm the one who Enoch spoke of. I am he, and they was without mercy, without hope, because they had transgressed, and the door was shut in their face. On down into the regions of demons. On down to the very gates of hell. Brother Adam knocks. This is when he was in the tomb. His body is waiting the resurrection. He visited the places that the just and unjust goes. Notice, his body didn't go anywhere. And to everybody else, it looked like nothing was happening. Looked like nothing was taking place. Oh, I hope you catch it, friends. Sometimes it looks like God ain't doing nothing. But he might just be fighting devils for you. He might just be fighting your battles. Oh, he never stops working. He never stops fighting. He never stops conquering for his family. It may look like nothing is happening. (laughs) And he says he visited those places. Notice this. And he knocks. Brother Brandon knocks at the door. And he knocks at the door of hell. And when he did, the devil came out. And I can just hear him say, oh, so you finally arrived. I thought I had you when I killed Abel. You see, when that seed was promised in the Garden of Eden, that devil has constantly tried to destroy that seed. And the death of Abel at the coming of Seth was just a death, burial, and a resurrection of Christ. The seed must continue. And he tried to destroy it. He said, I thought I had you when I destroyed Abel. I thought I had you when I destroyed the prophets. I was positive I had you when I beheaded John. But now, after all, you've arrived. And I've got you now. Oh, my. Brother Branham says, I can hear him say, Satan, come here. (laughs) Oh, glory. He's boss now. Reaches over and grabs that key of death and hell off his side, hung it on his own side. I want to serve you. Notice you've been a bluff long enough. I am the virgin born son of the living God. My blood is still wet on the cross. And the full debt is paid. You have no rights no more. You're stripped. Oh, I think that's how God does sometimes when Satan thinks he's had you. He thinks he's got you. Diagnose you with some disease or some catastrophe in your life. And God says, Satan, shut up. I'm the one in control of their life. I'm the one who gave you permission. I'm still in charge of their affairs. I'm still in charge of their health. I'm still in charge of their body. And you can't touch a hair on their head until I give you permission. He says, you are stripped. Give me those keys. That's right. turns around and gives him a good healthy kick. And slams the door together and says, stay in there. I'm boss from now on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He starts up. It's getting Easter time, passing fast. Brother Adam says, but there's another group. Where's Job? Where's Abraham? Where are they at? Where's those fellas that trusted God's word? Has he forgiven them, forgotten them? Did death annihilate them? Was that all of it? Never. Never. God has to keep his word. I can see him. Let's take a, peep into, a little peep into paradise. And look over there. I see Sarah and Abraham walking around there. After a while, I imagine when, jo- when Jesus knocked on hell, it was more of a... <laughs> I think when he knocked on paradise's door, it was a gentle. You know, like a friend who's coming to see you. Like a family member who's coming just to visit you. And he says he knocks on the door. Something, Abraham goes. You imagine, as Abraham comes and he hears that, what was that noise? Sarah says, somebody's at the door. You can imagine Abraham goes to that door and opens that door up. You imagine all of the expectation. Imagine all of, the, all of the waiting, all of the hope, all of the faith, all of the expectation that one day I'll see him, one day I'll see him. I may lay them in the grave, but one day they're coming back. Those skin worms destroy this body, yet one day I'll see him. You imagine as Abraham opens the door and he looks... And he, Sarah, 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 come here. Sarah, this is the one that stood by me under the oak tree that day. This is that same one. That's the same face. Brother Benham says, oh, he's Abraham's God. Just then I can see Daniel look over his shoulder. And he, Daniel's looking, and what's all the commotion? Daniel say. That's the rock that was shoot out of the mountain. Just as certain as I'm standing here. That's the same one. I can see Job raise up and Job stand to his feet. Job said, huh, that's, that's my redeemer. He says, that's my redeemer that I said lived and someday would stand upon the earth. My body may not be but a little spoonful of ashes. But in 15 minutes from now, I'll be in it again. That's him. That's him. Ezekiel turned around and looked over the top and said, I've seen that same person as a wheel in the middle of the wheel, turning way up in the middle of the air. Oh, my, here comes Enoch, saying, I saw him come. Notice, he was something different to everyone. But yet he was the same person oh my brother on that day when I see him he may be someone totally different for me than he may be for you maybe I'll never face a disease in my body that I'll never need miraculous healing of maybe I'll never have battles like you have but maybe you'll never have battles like I have and maybe you can't relate with your brother or your sister who's going to, uh, maybe they've lost a loved one maybe they're going through sorrow. maybe Jesus had to deliver them from suicide devils and depression demons and demons of homosexuality Maybe he won't be the same to everybody. But Jesus will say, I am he. I am the same one who spoke to you at your lowest moment. I am the God who delivered you. I am the God who saved you. I am the same God. He may be something different for everybody. But he'll be the same Jesus. But he said, my brethren, I am the one that you think I am. I can't imagine, Brother Ed, what that must feel like. I can't imagine what that would feel like for saints who've gone on, saints who've passed on, maybe in terrible ways, maybe fought through their life, fought some of the darkest battles, maybe things that we'll never have to face, but one day... Jesus will appear and say, "Child, I am the one who you trusted in. I am the one who you put all your hope in. It's me. It's really me." He says, "I am the one who you think I am. I am the seed of the woman. I am the son of David. I am the son of God. I am the virgin one, virgin born one. My blood is atoned for you. You waited under the blood of sheep and goats, but now my blood atoned and your." Free. Oh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy of it. Hallelujah. This was the hidden wisdom. He hid it from them. He hid it from their minds. And so the Bible says, had the princes of the world known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know what they were what he was taking in when he took Jesus down to hell. He didn't know that when he took Jesus down to hell, that would equal all of the family of God going free. Never to have to deal with the tyranny of the devil. never have to be under his rulership. Never a slave. Listen, I'm not a slave of the devil. I'm a freeborn son of God. I'm not the slave of the enemy. I'm not the slave to fear. I'm not a slave to any name he wants to put on me. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the kingdom. I've been set free. I'm not under his dominion, so don't ever let him tell you that you are. Hallelujah. Can we go a little further? So man separated and God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle that I may dwell among them. Notice this image here from our PowerPoint. If you can put it back to the first slide, brother, that'd be wonderful. I'll just just advance it from there. Notice this tabernacle, the colors and the curtains. God says, build me a tabernacle that I may dwell. So Moses builds this great tabernacle. You have in it, you have the inner court. You have the outer court. And then you have the holy place and the holiest of holies. And inside that holiest of holies is the Shekinah glory. You can see the pillar of cloud going up from the top of there. And Moses, God says, Moses, I want you to build it exactly as I've shown you. Don't deviate from it at all. In other words, Moses, this isn't your thought. Notice it's not the prophet's thought. It's God's thought to the prophet. And the prophet expresses it. So God says, I'm going to show you a blueprint. You like blueprints, Brother Ed? Let me tell you who's a great architect. Brother Ed's a good architect, I'm sure. But do you know that Jehovah is the first architect? He's not just the architect. He's also the engineer. He also not only drew the plans, but he engineered the plans. And so as long as you build it, according to how he drew it, then anything that goes wrong with it, who does the blame go to, brother? Goes back to the engineer and the architect. So God says, Moses, don't deviate at all. I want you to build it exactly as I've drawn it. There's going to be diamonds. There's going to be, there's going to be curtains that are made of all kinds of colors. And there's going to be sapphire. And there's going to be great pillars and made of ivory. And I want you to use this. Stitch it with this kind of cloth. And you go to read uh, through the book of Leviticus. And you go to read about the mercy seat. And you read about the Old Testament tabernacle. You know what you'll find? God is a very detail-oriented God. He's very specific Some of those notes you find as you are bit in a set of blueprints, man, you better pay close attention to those specifications, those details. Open it up. you got that view, then you got an enlarged, detailed view. And God says, I'm going to be very detailed. You know what that tells me about God? He's not generic. He's not, all oh, just any old way. You know, Moses, I, I don't know. I, I want a house. I want a tabernacle. So Moses, you know... Just build whatever you think. Moses, I mean, just, I'm great, so build something great. I'm beautiful, so make it beautiful. I got a lot of glory. Moses, whatever, you know, just give it a lot of glory. You know, Moses, whatever you think, Moses. Just how, whatever, listen, that's not what God did. That's not what God does now. A Christian is not some generic way, I just love the Lord. God's very detailed, specific On what he calls a Christian. And what a believer is. Is not a generic term. It's very detailed. Oh hallelujah. There's very great specifications and details. And you got to make sure. You follow all the details. And he says don't deviate from it. Moses. you're, You're not to have any thought of your own. You're not to have any idea of your own. This isn't your idea, Moses. This is not your plans. This is Jehovah's plans. Oh, do you realize when Jeremiah would prophesy, it was not Jeremiah's prophecy. When Ezekiel would take a word from the Lord and he would deliver it to the children of Israel, it wasn't his words. He was just the messenger. So to reject Jeremiah, you weren't rejecting Jeremiah. You were rejecting Jehovah. To reject the message of the hour through God's vindicated prophet. Listen friends, you're not rejecting William Branham's message. You're rejecting the throne room message. That's so why people don't realize what they say and how quickly what they say. Jesus said, every idle word a man speaketh, he'll give an account for on the day of judgment. You Better be careful who you're talking about. That was free. Build it exactly to the very size, the cubits, the height, the materials, the colors. Build it exactly as I've shown it, Moses. God is going to say, don't deviate because what's in Earth is only going to be a representation of what's already in heaven in my home. But I'm going to build a home and I want to congregate. No, you move from there, build it exactly. Don't deviate from the image. Don't deviate from it. don't deviate from it at all. Now you have all of the colors, you have all of the beauty, you have all of the stitching. You move from there and God says, now, I want you to build a tabernacle. Now, this is David's or Solomon's. So, David has a desire to build a house for God. But Solomon builds this house. I don't want to take the time to turn in the Bible and Chronicles, but this is a further step. God is always moving forward. Remember this God doesn't have the gear of reverse, He's never going backwards. I know we love to say, oh, the good old days. Oh, oh, you should have seen our meetings. You should have seen back. Listen, friends, God is doing a new thing. He's never going backwards. You got to be so careful with this. Yes, we're restored back to Pentecost. Yes, that's our restoration. But remember the prophet said, this is not a repeat or a return of Pentecost It's a continuation. Hello, somebody. Yes, we're restored to Paul's message. Yes, it's the Pentecostal message. But we pick up from where they left off. The omega restores back to the alpha, but not to have seven more ages to be raptured out of this earth. So God has no gear of reverse. He only can go forward. But notice every time he goes forward, you go from Moses' tabernacle, and it's grandiose, and you see the tents all the way around, all the 12 tribes encamped around those tents in the form of a cross, and even laid them out north and south and southwest and southeast, and every man had a spot to be in. There was a particular place that they had to live. They couldn't live, and if they were born, if God had ordained them for the east side of the tent, they had to stay there. Had ordained them for the west, that's where they were. They bore a standard. This was God's army, this was God's family. But notice out of all the colors, out of all, all all of the all of the beauty that it had, out of all of the colors and all of the beauty, and all of the stitching and all of the all of the diamonds and all of the all of the materials, do you realize something? Without the Shekinah glory coming down in the innermost part of your being without the Shekinah glory coming down to the holiest of holies do you realize what gave the tabernacle it's glory what gave it it's glory it wasn't the colors it was beautiful but that wasn't what gave it it's glory what gave it it's glory was the presence of Jehovah descending upon it And let me just say this, without that, then what good was all of the colors? What good was all of the beauty? What good was all of the curtains? What good was all of the diamonds? What good was all of the gold? What good was the laver? What good was the table of showbread, the altar of incense? What good was it? It was just nice articles of clothing, a good dress code, good hunting stories good religion, come on somebody I hope you're catching this do you realize without the presence of God coming into the tabernacle all you had was another form, all you had was another religion, all you had was another covering, but this message is not not doctrines and and dress codes, and, and that's all part of it, this message is Jesus coming down into the tabernacle filling the tabernacle without the presence of God backing up right here. the ministry of Brother Branham, then what would we have? Right. Right. Do you realize when you separate the Spirit and the Holy Ghost from all of the doctrines, the Bible says the letter killeth. Yeah. But the Spirit giveth life. You say, then we just need the Spirit. Oh, no. You need both. You need both. Don't let the devil cut out any of it. Well, You know, that's the devil's tactic always, to cut this out and keep this. And I'll clip that part out, but I don't want this. I want that, but I don't want this. But the family of God says, I want all of it. I want every part of it. You say, what gift of the Spirit should we have? All of them. What fruit of the Spirit? All of them. What doctrine? All of the doctrine restored. All of the power. All of the teaching. All of the preaching. We need preachers. We need evangelists. We need pastors. We need the prophet. We need every resource. Every resource that God has sent. We need it all. People love to camp to this side and then go to this side. We're all this and then we're all that. Listen, friends, don't you realize God sent us all of it? Oh boy Lord, where am I at? Without the tabernacle, without the presence, it meant nothing. It was just a good, a good, nice, pretty building. So Solomon builds this tabernacle. You can read Chronicles as he begins to pray. And he's got the menorah. He's got the altar of incense. He's got the table of showbread. He's got all of the articles. Look at his tabernacle. Beautiful, glorious, splendor, grandiose. This is just a modern day depiction of Solomon's historians. Jewish historians say it was the most beautiful, grandiose, just splendor. Maybe it didn't have lights in those days as this pudding does, but it just stood out. It was just, it, there was just such, there was such beauty in this temple. Notice, it's smaller than Moses' temple, tabernacle. It's smaller in size, less, but yet it's greater. Remember, anytime God sends something more, it's always greater, even though sometimes it's less. Hello, believers. Remember Brother Adam in Countdown. He teaches us that at the achievements of man, when they achieved the automobile, when they achieved horse and buggy, he says it was a great achievement. I wasn't around when they came up with the horse and buggy, but they say it was an achievement. Okay, it was an achievement. I'm glad to know. I'm sure to them it was a great achievement. You don't have to walk anymore. You got a horse and a buggy. You travel by. Brother Adam says, but notice this here. Then they came out with the automobile. And he said, Notice it's smaller, less, but greater. More power, more horses. He said, Now you take four horses on a horse and buggy, now you put 400 in a little combustion engine. Notice all the time man moves forward, God moves forward. And Brother Burnham says, Though the engine had more power, yet it was less labor. <laughs> Oh, you could preach a sermon on that. Yeah. It was less work, but more power. Yeah. And he says, then they moved from the automobile into the jet aircraft. And now you've really got jet fuel. You've got jet power. Then it moves from that to the spaceship. Notice, Brother Branham said, every time man progressed, it was only typing in the message countdown. Brother Branham says, every time, he says, man would have a natural achievement, it only showed what God was doing in the spiritual. And he said, just the time the Wright brothers were getting off the ground and sputtering, he said there was a little group in Los Angeles getting off the ground and moving out of the earthly and moving into the heavenly. He said, just the moment they were taking flight, there was a little group of people coming out of their seats spiritually. Oh, hallelujah. What was it? A restoration. And so God says, it's going to be smaller but it's going to be greater. Every single time God would do away with one temple and bring another one, the latter temple would be greater than the former. God isn't going backwards, as we said. And he says, I'm going to do something greater. And so Solomon's temple was greater in splendor. It was beautiful. But I ask you again, what brought it its beauty in Second Chronicles, Solomon gets on his knees and he prays. And Solomon begins to say, Lord, send the fire, send the presence of the Holy Ghost. Solomon knew that of all of his work, it was beautiful. But without that holy fire, without that pillar of cloud coming down in that temple, then all of his work meant nothing. It's all what you call Glory. It's all what you define as glory. It's like what they call success. What the world calls success is so different than what I call success. It's all in how you define success. Do you realize that? It's just like a man in the world today. We think we're successful when we got the greatest. The family has the kids who have the greatest college degrees and the biggest homes and the nicest cars. And they call that successful. You've arrived. The American dream, they call it. The pursuit of life, liberty, happiness. And you you chase this dream. And your entire you're told from the day you're born, seek it, chase it, career, have a, have a, good, a great opportunity, get a, a good job, and then a better job, and climb the corporate ladder. And they're all chasing something. And that's what motivates them. Every single day they wake up out of bed. There's a motivation to get, to get, to gain, to gain, to go further and further and higher and higher and higher. I'm not criticizing them. For some of them, that's all they have in life. It's all what they deem successful. And they deem it the greatest job. And then you climb the corporate ladder and the biggest home. And oh, my home's a mansion and I've got this many cars and my children don't have to do anything and I can just provide. And that's what they call success. They call a successful home that. Do you know what I call a successful home? One who has the presence of Jesus by the token of the blood applied in the home. A home where the family can get down on their knees in a family altar and call out upon the name of God. I call a successful home one where there's no fear and there's no stress and there's no anger, there's no negativity but the spirit of Jesus. Oh, that's the kind of home I want. One where Jesus reigns supreme. They call a successful parent when your child becomes a doctor or a, a, a lawyer or some great degree. That might be fine and that might be successful. But do you know what I call successful parents? When I can live such a life before my children, not a perfect life, but a life that they can see Jesus and crave that and want that. When my children are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, oh, I'd get a unanimous amen from every mother and father to say there's only one thing I want in this life. You can leave all of the rest of it off. But fill my children with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what they achieve in life. It doesn't matter what they ever gain in life. Give them the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what I want more than anything for my children. It's all what you call success. Well, a successful church, brother Matt. They're breaking the walls down to build bigger churches, and they got the nicest coffee shop, and they got the night. There's a coffee shop right in the con- congregation. Successful church is the greatest programs, and we got the greatest uh, stage band, and we got the greatest lights and greatest fog machines. You know, that's what they call success. Mega churches with more members and more members and more members and more and more and bigger and bigger. Do you know what I call a successful church? A church where there's liberty and freedom of the Spirit. Where where the pastor doesn't have to preach based on your feelings. But he can preach whatever God tells him to. And a church that will say, preach the truth to me, Brother Ed. Preach the unadulterated Word of God. It doesn't matter if it hurts my feelings. Preach the Word, Brother Ed. I say that's a successful. God, give us that kind of believer. Give us that kind of church where an atmosphere of faith for anything is possible. What gave it its glory? It was the Shekinah glory. It wasn't the tabernacle. It wasn't the beauty. It wasn't the splendor. It was the presence of Jehovah. Oh, I so identify with David when David said, one thing have I desired. He came before the Lord and said, Lord, out of everything I could desire, there's one I can boil it down to. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, to dwell in the presence of the Lord, in the secret of His tabernacle all the days of my life. Oh, does that resonate with this church today? And say one thing that we desire is the presence of Jehovah to come into our assembly, to light our young people on fire, to send a revival of the Holy Ghost, to let the presence of God flow freely. I'm going to close. Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. We're just going to read one verse here. Now comes this temple that the Jews go back. They're taken into captivity, taken to Babylonian captivity. And you know the story, we don't have time to cover it, but they build this tabernacle. Ezra and Nehemiah, and you have different men, and you have, you have uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the man, Zerubbabel. And here is a Babylonian man who's born in Babylon, and he comes back to lead this charge to rebuild this temple. And they come to this place to where they're rebuilding after that many years of captivity. Now they've came back to rebuild the temple. You know, God wants a temple. And I'm not talking about a church or a building. But the Bible says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He wants a place he can dwell in. Unhindered, unrestricted. Without any hindrances, he wants to flow freely through his temple. And Satan, here they come back to restore this broken. The temple walls are destroyed. Jerusalem's walls are knocked down. Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed anything, but now Cyrus comes on the scene. He he sends the captives. He sends those uh, who were taken captive to go and rebuild their temple. But you know what happened? After just a short little time, after just a short little time, the work stops because they get back and it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. The work, they didn't expect. They came back with such, such fervor. But guess what? There's weeds and there's, there's wild animals and you can hardly recognize what was. You know, restoration is one of the hardest works you can do. Restoration. Let me say this. God so let me say this: Satan hates, hates restoration. He loves broken. He loves dysfunction. He loves disharmony. He love it. He loves it when there's just a little bit of a, a feeling between a husband and a wife. Satan just loves it. That's his playground. He loves it when there's this He loves, he works in that. He loves that disjointedness, disharmony in a home. He hates restoration, but God loves it. (laughs) And you want to get the the devil on your back, go to rebuilding what he's torn down. Go to putting your faith and your hammer to work and saying, I'm going to rebuild this home. I'm going to rebuild this marriage. I'm going to rebuild my relationship. I'm going to be real, rebuild my prayer life. I'm going to rebuild the broken tabernacle. I tell you what, all hell will turn loose, but all heaven will turn loose to back you up. And let me say this, friends, it may be the hardest work. Maybe the hardest work. But Haggai comes to them. And you know what's happening? The old generation is criticizing and saying, huh. That's what you call a temple? They get the temple half built. That's what you call a temple? Oh, that ain't nothing like what we used to have. That ain't nothing like our revivals. You call that a revival. Oh, boy, yeah, that ain't nothing to what we used to do. And they started to criticize the work of God. And so he says, despise not the day of small things. Haggai comes, notice here, we don't have time to, to look at all of it, but let's look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. And Agatha tells them, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory Not the splendor, not the grandeur, not the size. Listen to me, friends. The revival that is taking place right now, maybe in a much smaller way, maybe more in secret, maybe in places. I don't hear about that. Well, let me tell you what's happening. God's moving, maybe not in the way you think He would move, but He's moving in mothers. He's moving in fathers. He's moving in pastors. He's moving in preachers. And there's a revival taking place. And let me say the glory of this revival shall be greater than the former. The glory of what God's doing now in this church is greater. Don't ever look backwards. God doesn't look backwards. Only look forward and recognize something's taking place now. Not yesterday. God's using the man that God has put here now. He says the glory of this house the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former saith the Lord of hosts and in this place I will give peace so here's what you got to do Haggai says don't be discouraged by the critics you'll always have the critics don't be discouraged by those critics who want to criticize what you're trying to rebuild. You keep your head focused on the promise, you keep your eyes focused on the prize. Haggai comes to them and says, Be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O son of Josedech. Be strong and build. Okay, what are we going to do? How do we start? Where are we going to begin? Pick up your hammer. One brick at a time. Pick up that pickaxe. Oh, but it's so overwhelming, brother Matt. You don't know how overwhelming. It's such a mess. You don't have an idea of my marriage. You don't know how broken it is. Just pick up a hammer. Just start going to work. Start with something small. God will do the rest. Just start working towards it. Start swinging that hammer. Oh, somebody help me preach tonight. Start working towards restoration. God's for you. God will fight for you. God will support you. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. For this is what the Lord's desire. This is the Lord's doing. Just start swinging your hammer. People, they get, so, they get so overwhelmed by such a large task. What am I going to do? I don't even know where to begin. Just begin. You got to start where you're standing. I hope you hear me tonight. That's from the Lord. Stop looking. Oh, I got to figure it out. I got to make a plan. Just start where you're sitting. Start where you're sitting right now. You've got to start here. Stop waiting. God's looking for action, even something small. You've got to start where you're standing. Don't be overwhelmed by the circumstance, Shamgar. Just pick up an axe, pick up an ox coat. Realize this is your home. It's not the devil's home. Those are your children. That's not the devil's children. Shamgar said, this is my land. This is my home. Those are my children. And he picked up an ox goat and just started swinging and swinging and swinging. And before you know it, every devil and every demon was defeated in his life. You've got to start where you're standing. We moved from that temple And God says, I'm going to move further. They built a temple in the days of Herod. This is the Jews' temple, just a model of that temple. You know what God's doing? He's moving one step closer. All the way from Eden, harmony and relationship and fellowship and communion is broken. And so he comes to Moses, build me a tabernacle. And he takes one step. Then he comes to Solomon And he takes another step. Then he comes to Haggai. He's getting closer to his vision. He's getting closer to his vision. All the time, he's getting closer. He's getting smaller, but it's getting greater. He's getting smaller, but it's getting greater. No one can recognize it because man's eyes look at the big things. That's why the Bible says you esteem those things. Uh, He says as man looks, you look on the outward appearance. But I look at the heart. God says, I'm moving closer and closer. And it's getting smaller and smaller. But it's getting greater and greater and greater. And now God takes one more step towards his temple. And you have Moses, you have Solomon's, you have Haggai, Zacchaeus, you have, you have, you have the, the temple under the Jews, under Babylonian. Then you move from that temple all the way to the temple under Herod. You say, Brother Matt, what's the next temple? Oh, hallelujah. He takes another step. <laughs> and it's smaller. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He's humble, he's lowly. There's no beauty that we should desire. And man, it goes right over the eyes of the wise and prudent. And Jesus says, there's one standing before you now that's greater than the temple. And here's Jesus, the fulfillment of Moses' law. He's the fulfillment of every shadow. He's the fulfillment of every type. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. David had a great gift. Samson had a great strength. But let me tell you, every strength that Samson had, Jesus had. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, all of the great men of God and all of the special abilities and all of the great anointings that came upon him, the fullness of all of the anointing dwelled in one vessel. And Brother Burnham says, oh, don't ever let anybody tell you that he was a man, that he was just a man. He was more than a man. And don't ever let anybody tell you he was only God. He was both God and man. He was the God man. (laughs) What was it? The beginning of a new race of people, a new creation. Of people. He was the first. You are the many that would follow after him of the same seed, of the same sign, of the same life, of the same power, the same anointing. Greater work shall you do, for I go to my Father. Listen, he didn't stop with that temple. But on the day of Pentecost, he'd send his spirit back into the church, and all that Christ was, he poured into his church. He poured into his many membered body. And you say, Who's his temple now? Hallelujah. Don't you recognize who you are? Don't you recognize the potential that's inside of you to overcome anywhere, anytime, any place, under any condition? It doesn't matter. Me? Me? Brother Matt? Me? Are you sure? I'm sure this is how little David felt as he's in the field and they call for, Samuel says, there's got to be one more. David comes. Imagine, brother, Ed, how David must have felt, little shepherd boy, as the oil is running down his head. And he says, me? 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 Are you sure you made the right choice, Lord? Can I be honest here? I've felt that way many times. Me, Lord, are you, are you sure? Do you really know me? Do you really know me? Are you sure? Be assured He knows you. He knows every part of you. He knows your weakest of all weakest moments. And yet he still chose you. Me, Lord? Are you sure you made the right choice, Lord? Are you sure when you called me, God, you don't know how messed up I am. You don't know how weak I am. Yeah, I, Surely, Lord, the task is too great. Surely I could never do it. I'm not up to the task. I'm not, I'm not up to the, to the job, Lord. You don't know my, my ins and outs. What you have to understand is he didn't place confidence in your flesh. He placed confidence in his seed he put inside of you. And he baked all of heaven on the potential of the seed he placed inside of you. And it was never about you. And it will never be about you. Stop looking at you. Stop looking at the mirror, Sarah. It's not the perfection in your body. You've got to look at the promise. You've got to look at the one who made the promise. And say, I believe the one who made the promise is more than able to keep his own word. Oh, could you stand to your feet and say, I accept it today. I accept my commission. I accept I'm the person that God has chosen. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. every head bowed, every eye closed. Stop looking at you. Sarah, you will never receive strength looking in the mirror. Because what can you see when you look in the mirror, sister Sarah? You see baggy eyes and stooped shoulders. Elderly age. You're past the age, Sarah. Abraham's 99 years old. Surely it couldn't be him. So what does Abraham do? They try to force the promise, give up on the word. They produce an Ishmael. And God says, no, 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 no. I've got a promise yet. And it may look impossible, Sarah. It may look impossible. But I'm the God of the impossible. I'm the God of your most impossible circumstance. I don't care what it is tonight here on Sunday night. You can lay the most impossible circumstance at his feet tonight. You can raise those hands and say, I'm laying my most impossible, what seems implausible, What seems undoable, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense to you, brother. It doesn't make sense, brother Matt. It doesn't have to make sense to you, sister. Stop looking at your circumstance. The Bible says Sarah, by faith, Sarah conceived when she was past age. Because she esteemed, accounted, that the one who made the promise was not her. And you can say that to the Lord tonight. Lord, I'm not the one who placed this desire inside of my heart I'm not the one who ever placed a desire to serve you. I was going the wrong way a million miles an hour. I would have never been in a church on a Sunday night. But you placed a desire for the word of God. I didn't put it that there. I'm not the one who called me. I'm not the one who chose me. I'm not the one who started the work. So Lord, I can't be the one who's going to finish the work. If you're the one who started it, you're the one who'll have to finish it. And I place my confidence that you'll finish what you started, Lord. I place my confidence not in myself, not in my flesh, not in my ability, not in my inability. I place my confidence that the one who made the promise is able to keep his word and I believe I lift up my hands and I say I believe he'll keep his promise I believe he'll fulfill his word and everything that's written of me will be I accept it in Jesus name I raise my hands and I accept it in Jesus name I accept it in Jesus name name. I declare in Jesus' name that every doubt that I have and every thought that I have that's contrary is a lie from the devil and I declare the promise of the word of God. I declare it over my home. I declare it over my marriage. I declare it over my young people. I declare it over my impossible situation. I speak the name above every other name. I speak the name of Jesus. Above every trial. I speak the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, friends. Don't let me do it for you. Speak the name of Jesus over your children. Speak the name of Jesus over your health. Speak the name of Jesus over your mind. Speak the name of Jesus over your memory. Speak the name of Jesus over your consciousness. Speak the name of Jesus over your home. I speak the mighty name of Jesus over every impossible situation that I face. And at the name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess at the mention of that name. Every spirit. Oh, I feel it right now. I feel doubt leaving this building. I feel anxiety leaving this building. I feel that demon of complexes who tells you you are never enough. You'll never be enough. You'll never make it. It just left this building. I feel that spirit of disease and sickness. Maybe L in your body. I feel it leaving right now. What is that, friends? That's the power of the Holy Ghost. And I just raise my hands and say, move all over me, Lord. Move in my body, move in my spirit, move down in my soul. Move in every fiber of my being, Lord. I surrender now to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, Lamb of God. We love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. We love you with all of our being, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our body. Your prophet said man was to be the temple of God. The temple of the Holy Ghost. So then I say, let the Holy Ghost take his residence. Take his residence in my spirit. Take your residence in my mouth. Take your residence in my thoughts. Let my thoughts not be evil. Let them be good. Let my words not speak evil. Let me speak good. I say, take residence in my body. Take residence in my actions. Take residence in my reactions. Take residence when I'm at work. Take residence when I'm at church. Holy Ghost, I give you full control. I give you full sway. I give you full liberty. I give you full control of me. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we accept it. We expect, we expect it. And we accept it. You can sing, brother. Whatever you got upon your heart.
0: I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Oh yes. Over every heart and every mind. Oh yes. I know there is peace within. Oh, lift it up to him now. I speak, Jesus. I speak, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Every dark addiction starts to break. I believe it, Lord Jesus. You're doing it right now. Yes, Lord, I speak, speak Jesus. Jesus.
1: can ever put on our lips is the name of Jesus oh friends he, we are his temple we are his glory we want to give it to him tonight don't you it's greater than everything you've ever gone through as our brother was ministering and he just said wherever you're at right now just take that step tomorrow morning take that step I believe that's where God wants to start. Don't think about anything. Don't worry about anything. But just step out. I think if, the, if you can take one thing from today, we need to step out. We don't need to hold back. We need to say, we need to have confidence in what He has done for us. Amen. He is the great one in our midst. Amen. Greater than all, greater than all. Can you sing that? greater than all.